This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. The, I'm, I'm even, as you're sharing, I'm even thinking about the staff itself and how it comes from this rough piece of wood that comes out. It's, it's totally rough. It's angular. It's too big for your hand. It's not useful to anybody. Uh, it's got some inherent beauty in it. And if you can be chopped down and if you can be, if the maker, you'll allow the maker to form you into something beautiful and worthwhile and long lasting that it can be. And you get, you're willing to get rid of all that extra rough fluff on the outside and you can be sealed for a purpose that maybe you could actually be useful through the generations. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 89. Guys, today's episode with Joseph Clark is going to knock your socks off. He is with Brazos Walking Sticks, and he has a story and Our conversation is just going to open up your world in a relationship with God, masculinity, a whole bunch of other different things. But guys, this episode is not going to disappoint. Random story about Brazos walking sticks. Joseph reached out to me about two months ago, asking to come on the podcast. And I'm like, walking sticks? I've never really thought about walking sticks, rarely ever, if any. And I recently got one of these walking sticks, guys. These walking sticks are absolutely the real deal. Everything we use to describe it, this walking stick in the podcast, is its real quality. It's You can't even begin to understand the quality that goes into these walking sticks. My kids absolutely love carrying it with us when we go for hikes in the woods now. And there is something about having a walking stick, even though you don't know you need one. Every man needs a walking stick. It's something about it that just feels right when you're holding a walking stick. If you have an older member in your family, these they have a whole other line of products, canes, you name it is on their website. There is a show link in the bottom of the show notes. Go down there and you can get 10% off of all the products that Brazos has to offer. And you're also supporting the show by using that link down there in the show notes. Guys, this episode I know is going to move a mountain for you just like it did for me because our friendship and my friendship with Joseph is just getting started. And I know it's going to help open up your world and hopefully set you up for a very great week. So without further ado, let's get started with Joseph Clark. Welcome to the podcast, Joseph. Thank you. I'm so pumped. Thank you for having me. We first talked way back, I think it was like the early June and end of May, like the, the life was still very crazy. I don't think my kids were out of school yet. And you came into my life as a guy selling walking sticks. And I was like, walking sticks? This doesn't sound like something I've ever wished I had in my life. But then we talked on the phone and we scheduled the interview and you've sent me a walking six since. And I am super excited for this interview. It was one of my first ones uh, taking a summer hiatus. So you're actually the first summer interview I've done all summer so in the last two months. So I'm excited oh, wow. for this to be it. And so go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you ended up in walking sticks. Before we hit record, you were telling me how you worked at Fox Six in San Diego. So I'd love to hear how you go from that to understanding how you want to provide people a tool and men to understand how to reconnect to their masculinity. Yeah, right. Well, so I was in the Fox Six relationship was I was in rock and roll bands and I had a talk show for a while in San Diego, which is always aspiring to be Los Angeles, but can never quite get there. Uh, it's the wannabe Los Angeles. But so I was always in media in some form and I had friends at Fox Six. So I was on the floor a lot doing silly things and promotions or playing with my band. Uh, so to go from that to here was quite a journey. And I'm sure we'll touch on that later on. But a snapshot of my life now is very different. Uh, I'm a guy that comes from the city. I grew up in DC and San Diego. And now I'm part of uh, an agrarian community here in Texas. Uh, agrarian just means that instead of agribusiness, 
we focus on agriculture. So uh, everything is craft here from the actual crafting of a walking stick uh, by hand or growing up corn or, or growing human beings. Um, and so it's, we focus on wholeness here and looking at the whole person. Um, and I would say that fatherhood is part of what drew me to your show. Fatherhood is probably one of the main components of the community here. So that, that's a short version. And you're not a dad yet though, if I remember correctly, right? No, I have two little, little, little ones. So one two of mine just turned uh, one year old. That's my youngest, Zoe. And then uh, my two-year-old, uh, Lovey, she's almost three. So you're really in that Instapot stage where life is always under pressure and you're just waiting for the Instapot to explode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, they're really coming around. Having the animals and the agriculture and the community aspect has been huge for them in terms of what I'm used to from little kids. So it's maybe a little bit better than usual, but they're still little kids. I want to unpack something there that you just put out there that I don't know, I'm sure you recognize it, but I want to pull out because I think it's a huge component. There are so many dads, men, women out there that just assume one category of life is how you find happiness. And generally that is through the pursuit of work, that you go to 40 hour week, you grow, you do these things, you go to college, And that is the pursuit of happiness. But when you talked about the wholeness, that isn't something that a lot of people acknowledge, especially veterans, because we find that purpose in our mission, but yet we don't really realize the mission is a multifaceted approach once you step out of the military. And even when you're in the military, it's the same idea. It's not just you conquer that hill. You learn to be more of a whole person. Go ahead and unpack a little bit about more what that means to you and how you've brought that into your own life. Man, it is so powerful what you're sharing about right now. We have a lot of former military here in in the community, and they understand something that's totally lost in civilian life, which is order. And order is huge. That's why a lot of troubled youth will go into the military or be encouraged to go, because they're going to understand order and where you are in that order. It's extraordinarily helpful. It brings clarity. And that's why I think the transition to civilian life is difficult. Maybe it wasn't always so much that way because our society is fractured, doesn't recognize fatherhood or order at all. And so we, we sort of can't figure out how to get back. But you know, I think order we have is the corporate ladder, which is just based on corporate politics. And as we learned through COVID, the whole thing can collapse. And you're wondering, well, what was all that time for if it was all just ended over an instant? We're And we're all feeling that. How tied to this machine are we? And I think my generation, maybe even the one before it, it only takes one generation to forget is, is something that I've learned. And, and that's true for, you know, having a child at home, home birthing, for instance, it's people say, can you even do that? Well, it was always that way until that years ago. And it is, it's totally legal. And of course, you want to have somebody there that can handle a difficult situation, somebody who has medical training, but we do home birthing here and it's forgotten in one generation. And so you're, what you're talking about and, and the way that society runs, we, we have forgotten or, or we were born not knowing that this is an experiment. The way that our economy is built, the way that the structure of society is built, it's all an experiment. And we have to find what's lasting, what has endurance, what's outside of time, not futuristic, not looking back to the past, but what is enduring, right? Mm. And that's the order we're really seeking. The wholeness we're really seeking is where do I fit in a whole? That's another thing that the military um, maybe imperfectly, but but provides for young men and, and, and now young women is that they say, you know what, this is not about you. And that is a message we all need to hear. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that life that you aren't the only one feeling this, that the world doesn't revolve around you, that it's when you're connected to other people doing life together. I repeat hundreds of times on the podcast that for millennia, we survived in tribes as men. In the last 200 years, we really thought we could do it alone. And what you're talking about, it lost in a generation. Like the moment that the Industrial Revolution and dad started going to work, we quickly forgot the component of doing life as a tribe and how we always needed someone ahead of us, always someone behind us. And it was that wholeness, that connection that allowed us to go forward. And we were never designed as human beings to do life alone, but that's exactly what we're set up to do. And you remind me of a Steve Jobs quote that he talked about, that the world that you live in is no more different than a bunch of other people just making up rules. So there's no reason why you can't create a new rule to live life by. And that nothing about society is written in stone. It's all just made up by people just like you 
you're just living in it. And there's nothing saying like he did in many cases, you can rewrite the rules and do it completely different. And that's certainly true, but we have to be careful about the making of those rules. They've got to be tied to something which is inherently authority. You can't get rid of authority because it just remakes itself. You can allow, and, and the perfect picture is the French Revolution. Do you mind if we go a, l- a little bit down history? No, I'm, I'm always good for a rabbit hole. Okay, so this is a perfect picture of where we're at right now uh, in, in the world. And what the French Revolution was, was the throwing off of restraint. That's essentially what it was. And there's this quote I read from a journalist at the time who was reflecting after they killed the king. They killed King Louis. And after they killed the king, he said, it was inconceivable before the killing of the king to uproot the father from the home. But we realized as soon as we killed the king, and there was a great hush over France when they did that, there was no coin struck that they struck for all the other great movements forward in the revolution. There was a great hush and everyone said, is this what we, is this what we were doing? Is this what we wanted to do? But when the king was killed, it suddenly they realized what it was all about from the beginning. And it was the usurping of the father. And all of a sudden, the Industrial Revolution comes on strong within 50 years. In 1850, all of a sudden, we start moving out of the country, into the city, and children and women's hands were smaller. So we wanted to put them in the factories. And now they're subject to basically slave labor and squalid conditions. Disease is rampant. Dad is displaced and everything falls apart. And somehow, we have forgotten that this is all an experiment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so there, what it is, and, and every year is a fresh rebellion against the father. And, and, and I, and I want to speak to the other side too and say, I understand that toxic fatherhood exists. And I don't want to just displace that, but I just want to say that there's an order that's inherent. And Steve Jobs was right. Let's make a new rule if the old one isn't working. However, what is it tied to? What is the goal here? Are we seeking wholeness or is it a radical individualism that throws off restraint and destroys its brothers and sisters? I'll take your rabbit hole and go a little bit deeper that I think what you're speaking to also is the idea that the masculine energy that fathers put out just in their general, like if you understand how to control your masculine energy and you show up in your family with that energy, that creates a calmness, but calm can create order. And there was this story that I remember hearing recently that a psychologist told me that a herd of elephants in Africa, the moms in the, 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 I can't think of the baby elephants, but the baby elephants were removed into a different part of Africa. And the, the cubs just, like the babies just kept killing each other. Like they really, it was like an evolution. They were just going crazy. All they did was bring the, the father elephants back into the picture and everything went back to normal. Like that no in itself created the order and the calm that you're talking about. And so much about the last 50 years even, which is the removal of fatherhood, even if you look at the divorce courts of how it's, been pulled back. It's not valued as much. But yet I, knowing and being in fatherhood space for the last two years, I can finally start to see that we're starting to get roots. It really became apparent when Kobe Bryant died because he wasn't remembered for being a basketball player. He was remembered for the kind of father he was. And that mm-hmm. gift kind of gave me the feeling like we're like, it naturally happened. It wasn't like a big awakening. Everybody kind of had this feeling and they were drawn towards it. But that kind of signals to me that we're in this cultural shift. I was also at a dad conference in February before the world went crazy. And it's essentially a bunch of dad influencers trying to change the narrative on fatherhood. And that fatherhood matters was the tagline for this conference. Yeah, because sure. it's that order and calm that masculine men bring that allows so much other things to withhold. And I was in another, you know who Dr. Meg Meeker is? I'm not familiar. She's a great child psychologist. She has a great book, Strong Father, Strong Daughters. I highly recommend it. She, I was in a, a online summit with her. And in that summit, she was talking about the, one of the biggest things we could do to solve our problems is put a dad in every street corner in America. Because <laughs> if you talk about, if even within the African-American community where the father is either jailed, removed, whatever, maybe he just is gone, they look for a fatherhood figure. And in many cases, it's the leader of a gang that becomes that fatherhood. So if you can be that person in someone's life, you can pre- prevent that attraction from going out and finding it. I mean, many cases, like even in the military, people go to that because there is something drawn about that. They look like I know many veterans that I've interviewed. They joined the military to figure out what being a man meant. Like they didn't have any model in their, in their heart. And they joined because they felt like that was a masculine, manly thing to do. And they were going to figure it out. 
The short story is they figured it out a little bit, but then when they got out, they went right back to and kind of lost who they were because they didn't do that. They didn't have that inner feeling of how to bring that masculine energy back out. And to even go slightly further, have you ever heard of this book, Becoming a King? Oh, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't think I know. I just read it two weeks ago with the, on a camping trip that I was on with some other guys. And it talks about the same idea. And even from a biblical point of view, that we're all brothers and that the original father is God. And that it's that kinship with God as our primary father that is often some of the conversation that men are missing to reestablish understanding of what their masculine soul looks like. And they need to acknowledge that the first father is their, is God and that they need that relationship with God and understanding what they were meant to do on this earth to really go forward. And I think that's a good segue into what you guys do with the walking sticks because you have a stick called the legacy stick. And I believe the legacy is the best tool to make sure that things are not forgotten. Because if you create a strong enough legacy, maybe like a Abraham Lincoln, or if you go back to the founding fathers, any of those types of people, you create a strong enough legacy, people will remember you. And if you can be remembered, people can keep talking about you and how you lived your life, whether it be different things you incorporated. Those are how you keep things continuing well past a single generation. You can measure your impact in not decades, but centuries and generations as well. Yes. And, and you have touched on so many things. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to grab a hold of them. To hold back. <laughs> but, and, 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 and I'm going to pull back a little bit to some other things you said. I mean, it, it, back to the French Revolution, I won't stay on this for long, but after we usurped King Louis, he used to walk through the streets and lay hands on the sick and cure them of skin diseases. I mean, this is the way at least that he believed, whether or not you believe in the healings is irrelevant. He, that's what he would do. He'd walk through the streets and lay hands on people. Once we killed King Louis, guess who took his place? Napoleon. Just like you're saying, you leave the, the natural father goes to jail. He's, he's subsidized by the government to leave the family, whatever the case may be. Dad is out of the picture. And we end up going and finding a dad anyway. That's what I'm talking about. Once we usurp the authority of the father, we get the abusive father in return. There's no two ways about it. The authority is inherent in reality. And what did the centurion, what did the soldier say to Jesus? He said, I recognize a man under authority. He knew Jesus was subject to everything the father said. So he recognized that saying, if I say to this man, go, he goes. Why did his men listen to him? Why did the centurion's men listen to him? Because he himself was under authority. And how can you be dad if a greater authority you are not under? You see, your, your kids are not going to say that the authority ends in dad. Because when you get into traffic and you end up mumbling something nasty under your breath to the guy across the way, your kids know you're flawed. But if you're on a trajectory of repentance going toward that submission to everything the father speaks, they suddenly say, I'm just in line. Dad is also under authority, and I need to learn how to be like dad. And all of a sudden, it's no longer the, the, the dictatorship of dad, but it's the guiding, loving hand that it's, is both stern and gentle. Yeah, and then see? dad's always going to be there. Like, There's two primary principles I talk on to kind of break down how your kids see you. That to your daughter, you're her first love. And she will always measure a man by how you presented yourself in your life and what you asked of life every day when you woke up. And your son, you're always a hero. So he's always going to aspire to be just like you. I can't tell you how many times my dad, my son is on me like stink on shit where it's just like, dad, what are you doing? Dad, what are you doing? Dad, can I help you? What are you doing, dad? I want to be there. I want to help you. Like he is always right there modeling what I'm doing. Like it's crazy. You look over like, man, he's doing exactly what I just did 10 minutes ago for better or for worse. And if you don't understand those principles, like there's a rule with legacy that I talk about, you're leaving a legacy whether you choose to or not whether it's a positive yes. one or a negative one, whether if you're not conscious of it, you're leaving one. You just may not be actually architecting it in a way that you actually want. And I joke that the dad with a shotgun at the door when his kids start dating is the dad that's afraid of who his kids are going to model when they come home. Because if yes. you're the man that you wanted everybody else to model, you should have no fear because your daughter's model for a man is going to be so high that she's going to find the right person. And you just trust that process because you lived your life that way. Amen. And around here, we call that the center that holds. And, and so many of us are part of a center that does not hold. I was raised in that house. And in terms of legacy, you're so right. So you touched on it again. We're back at it. Just like love, it's something that's outside of us. We need to get a hold of and become part of. Mm -hmm. As opposed to something that we can just throw off and re-architect and rebuild. 
there's really a pretty limited amount of free will that we can take on because the order exists regardless. And we can either take on the, the loving kindness of that fatherhood or we can go to the, the abusive dictator. And that's what the legacy staff is about. I'll, I'll touch on the legacy staff. The founder and, um, and his son essentially run this business and I've been brought on to help. And they have a relationship with their just recently passed away World War II veteran, um, Mitchell Parrish. So this was, uh, Jed is my age, Jed, it was his grandfather. And Mitchell was in World War II and he always expressed that even though he became a CEO at Dillard's and he did all these big things in his life, he was always embarrassed to talk about his military service because of the stigma people held against the life he chose and the sacrifice he chose to make. And so he, he would bring it up to people and they would just kind of fall apart and ah, I don't really know about that or, or they had an opinion even against what he had done. But you can't usurp the fact, you can't uh, remove the fact that this man was a warrior. That was a huge part of his life. It architected his identity. It taught him about order and fatherhood and so forth. And so we had an idea. We had a walking stick company at the time. We had the idea to make him a staff with the emblem of his branch of service, his name and his years of service, uh, and etched onto the staff. And he was getting older. He needed support. And he got out there, and it became a jumping off point for relationships. It's a talking piece that showed that somebody honored him, that it was as sturdy and resilient and beautiful and ancient as the man who carried it. There was, there was a, a picture of some glimpse of wholeness in his hand. That's what we're doing. We're, we're restoring dignity to the person that was a warrior or is just, uh, and was injured or is just aging and is going to carry around a cold aluminum medical device, which screams weakness to the passerby. It's absolutely undeserved. Uh, I believe it's wrong. And as soon as somebody gets a hold of a staff, a legacy staff or cane, they suddenly have a little bit of that dignity restored to them. It's, in, it's invaluable. In this book, Becoming a King, he talks about that part of the masculine journey is creating good soil. That's what he calls his podcast. He talks about that so many men focus on creating the fruits in their life, but they, fo- they don't focus on the fruits of, their, of the actual quality of their soil. And that's the soil that you need to focus on, that that creates as a rich life. And what you think you also get when you hold something in your hand, like the legacy cane. And when I started holding, I had the same feeling that like, it's a connection it's a- to earth. And I think that's when, why men love camping. I think that's why men love, I've never been a camping person my entire life, but spending six days in the woods with two other guys, I felt more manly than I have ever felt probably in a long, long time. Like just holding an ax and chipping wood, like there was just something connected to nature that was like alive inside me. And I think that's what you're, when you hold this cane, you're talking to the richness of a person's life. You're talking to that the imperfections of their life, because it's a piece of wood and it has a story even without being a cane. And it's those curves, it's those marks, like all of that is what defines a man. And that's what makes a man. And this is the part that also I think many dads get mixed up on. And it's what society sells, so it's easy to get mixed up on. That there is a land that you're trying to achieve where life becomes easy. That it's at some point you will get to margaritas in Jamaica. Like that's somehow part every day, every day. Like that's just going to be. And (laughs) even if you, there's people that do get there that figure it out, or maybe they just blow up their life and go do it. But they, what they quickly figure out is it's a lonely place to be. It's an empty place to be. And what no one talks about in becoming a King, he talks about a lot. Men need that sense of adventure. They need that thing that's continuing to sculpt them. And that's what I also loved about the legacy cane. It's a sculpture that like the, the curves, the whole thing, all of that is part of what creates a man is that sculpting every trial, every falling down, every trial and tribulation that he'd gone through, even something simple. I'm building a shelf to hold up my computer monitor in the garage. And I've fallen down probably like three or four times. I've gone to Ace Hardware and asked a few guys there, like, what am I doing wrong? I took my stained wood there. I'm like, it didn't turn out like the picture. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> that falling down process, but I'm working with wood. I'm working with my hands. I'm leaning into other people's wisdom to not do it alone. That part. And like, I went into the process. I'm like, this is going to be difficult. And I like woodworking. I've did it when I was in um, middle school with 4-H and different things, but I lost connection to it. And I got a lot of the knowledge, but I don't have like the, the actual art craft knowledge. And I went and that part is also part of what's going to be like, this is a trial I'm going through and it'll make me ready for some bigger trial and then some bigger trial. 
all of life is preparing you for something bigger that you don't know. And just like the legacy cane, it allows, in this case, it creates the structure. Like you talk about it when you try selling it, that they're practically unbreakable. That essentially is what your life creates as you go through the trials, that you create this unbreakable person that represents who you are and who do you are to your family. Like people often describe like grandpa's like, oh man, he was unshakable. Like there's nothing could get him down. He didn't wake up that way. Like that was through the life that he lived. Like that's yeah. what creates that mindset. That's what creates that life. And leaning into the struggle is actually what creates the beauty and even the legacy stick it's, itself. That's what creates the beauty of it, the imperfections and the curves. Uh, I couldn't agree more. The, the, I'm, I'm even, as you're sharing, I'm even thinking about the staff itself and how it comes from this rough piece of wood that comes out. It's, it's totally rough. It's angular. It's too big for your hand. It's not useful to anybody. Uh, it's got some inherent beauty in it. And if you can be chopped down and if you can be, if the maker, you'll allow the maker to form you into something beautiful and worthwhile and long lasting that it can be, and you get, you're willing to get rid of all that extra rough fluff on the outside and you can be sealed for a purpose that maybe you could actually be useful through the generations. These, these sticks don't just not break for you, Ben, they're going to go yeah. to your children's children's children. Yeah. There's no reason for it to break down. And that's the thing that the, what has endurance, what has endurance, you know, and I come from a place of repeated attempts at stepfatherhood. You know, I come from DC. There's no fatherhood culture there. It's just a complete mess. They call it the swamp for a very good reason. You know, it's a miry clay up to your waist. And I mean, I was steeped in politics from an early age and it just, I never saw the fruit from it. I was at the Black Panther rallies and the, the skinhead rallies and, and everything in between, liberal and, and conservative. And I just, I couldn't see the change in people on either side. And I couldn't see anything that had lasting potential. And it was because I was searching for a place and something bigger than me that had to do with my food, the air I breathed, where I lived, what I did, how I thought. And, and it just wasn't there. It was all fractured. Right. Even as I'm explaining, it's probably giving you this tinge of anxiety because there was no answer. But I ended up being the guy on the beach with the margaritas every single day because I thought that was the answer. I did that for years in Ocean Beach and Pacific Beach, San Diego, in rock bands, exalting myself. I'm, this is it. This is how That's we're going to do it. That's why you smiled so big. <laughs> you know, I, I just never aged. I never aged. <laughs> but, but, you know, you sit there and you actually don't age on the inside, there's also no maturing. There's no cutting. There's no correction. You're not subject to anybody's ministry or discipleship at all. And ultimately, by the time I, uh, you know, sobered up and came to God and changed my life, I was still 13. I was in a 30-year-old's body, but I was still 13. It's because I was not given fatherhood at a young age, so I had no idea how to accept authority. You're probably scared of it, even yourself. I know that there's lots of dads that don't have that model. Like the moment they hold their kid in their hands, they're like, what did I just do? And what am I in for? Right. They're terrified because they themselves are not under authority. Or just fearful of making the same mistakes, like just living in fear that entire time. Right. And that's exactly where I was. The man, and I'm willing to say this, the man who sits on the beach and drinks margaritas every day is absolutely terrified of making a mistake. That's why there's no relationship. Relationships are a huge risk, but it's what we're built for. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to fall down and say, I was wrong. And that's the only way we grow. That's the journey of life that is so, so intrinsic to human nature. And yet society, what we would call modernity around here, the, the wave of progress that we don't really have a goal in mind for. It's just moving forward. But where is it going? That wave of modernity is the throwing off of restraint. And, and, and I'll believe you on this for this thought. Love itself is a, is a restraint. We, we want to give ourselves to the bonds of love. And that keeps us from the bonds of selfishness. That destroys everything. I think it was, um, I don't remember if it was Burr or, or Samuel Adams that said that the, the Constitution is a, is a set of laws for a religious people. And that we couldn't even have the Constitution without a greater authority from which it came. And all of those laws in there were extrapolated from the biblical text. Even though not a, most of those men weren't Christians in the way that you and I would recognize, they had different ideas, but they took everything from the scriptures. That's where they took it from. Why? It was outside of themselves. It was beyond human machinations and thinking. It wasn't Greek in its 
rationalistic attempt at forming everything to the mind of man, which ultimately became the destruction of the Roman Empire. They said, we got to do something different. We have to do something different. And they subjected themselves to the fatherhood of God in the making of this country. And that's why all the prosperity has come. All of the protection has come. I mean, is this not a, is this country not a provision? It's, it's globally situated to protect us from all the onslaughts of the enemy. It's absolutely not even close to 50% depleted of uh, resources. We're still mining iron ore from Minnesota and beyond. There's trees everywhere. I mean, this is a provision from God. Why? Did we subject ourselves to something greater? And you got out, like we, we talked about earlier, we got outside our head. We thought of ourselves in a way that it's not about us, it's about the community around us. And I love what you talked about going back to the founding fathers, because as the world goes crazy now, I often think that like one question, I'm a bit, I love the movie National Treasure. Like that guy is kind of like me. Like I love, I read that, I get goosebumps, the whole thing. And so much like wisdom comes from that, that. Like when you go to DC and you look at the Capitol and you're like, man, how can so much hate and anger sit inside of a building surrounded by so much wisdom and beauty? And I often think like if I was having a bad day and I was a congressman, I would just go for a walk and be like, I wonder what Abe would do, or I wonder what he would do, or go to Martin Luther King Memorial. There's words written there all around that like speak to racism and like all of these things. They're yeah. right, literally a 15 minute walk from where they're sitting. And that is essentially what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that spoke truths in a way that allowed other people to see it outside themselves. And what, you're t- what you got lost in was like just this hating everybody for internal reasons that like it's all about how do I get reelected type conversation versus how do we go back to the original idea of what we're about and get back to what would they do? Like, I don't hear that ever talked about like, what would Thomas Jefferson do in this moment? But it's that wisdom that like, like that we're missing. We're missing the, the sage wisdom of what the history can teach us or what they can enable us to think like. And we're all too much focused on who we are right now. And I really appreciate you opening up about that story because it helped, I think, a lot of people just kind of see America in a different way. Because what you say it isn't the way they say it on CNN or any other different news organization. But yet it's the part that everybody feels when they say they're an American. But no one really understands words-wise how to articulate. We don't have a modern day Abraham Lincoln that can fruitfully explain why it's worth fighting to go inside of our country and fight our own American blood for an idea that's outside of Mm ourselves. No one speaks that way. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, and even as I'm sharing, I'm, I'm just realizing that everything I'm saying to you, I have been given, you know, I I myself, yes, sir. And I'm not the one who, who, formed and shaped myself and, and came up with all these ideas. And I'm just, you know, let me write 15 books because I'm such a genius. I received everything from the fatherhood that's currently in my life. That was when I, when I turned from, um, and, and this is not to disparage somebody else's choices, but my own, when I turned from drugs and alcohol and that isolationism, which is being on stage and it's all about my message, you know, and, and which was utterly unfruitful. When I turned from that and I turned to a mentor that had what I wanted, I found somebody that had what I wanted, not just in business, but in their family. I said, I've got to go where you're, where you are. That was when everything changed for me. And I wouldn't be having this conversation if I wasn't under authority right now from Warren Owen, the founder of this company, a man who has shaped my life in ways that I, I could never repay. And, and it's so fruitful to find the one who has the fruit that you desire and is planted in a soil that can produce that kind of fruit. And around here, we have a saying, you can't grow bananas in Alaska. It's not going to work. You could create a greenhouse with extremely high tech fittings and all the technology in the world. Maybe you could produce a tree or or a warehouse of trees, but that's about it. You're not going to completely colonize with bananas. It's not supposed to grow there. Mm -hmm. You've got to grow in the right soil for the kind of fruit that you desire. And be with the right type of people that are going to allow that to grow and to what most veterans forget as well is that what you what you brought up with that mentor is it's through those friendships that we get reflected back value that we can't see ourselves that he saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself either 
Yes. And he's drawing me out. He's saying, that's not the way. There's that stern guiding hand, but this is the way. And that's the love and kindness. That's the kind of fatherhood that is inherent in, in reality. We need to get a hold of. And I know that for all of my friends that have been in the military, and I, I had a stepfather that was 23 years in the army as a recruiter, uh, retired E9, and then went into the civilian sector in national security. You know, he he had such a uh, a foundation and a structure when he left there, but he entered into the civilian world and there was no order, out of order into chaos. And it was really a breaking for him. And it destroyed his relationship because he had, where, where am I in space? Until he he came to God. He came to God later in life. I hadn't seen him in years. We left on a bad note. We tried to reconcile it. It couldn't work. And I, I ran into him. I came back to San Diego after a long time being gone. And I just, I tried out this random little church and there he was sitting there in the pew seeking repentance, seeking the fatherhood of God, seeking his own discipleship, even in his fifties. And he was changed. And I don't, I don't know exactly where he is now. And I'm not here to herald this man as some kind of hero beyond what he really is. But when I met him, he had something. He finally had a settledness in his heart. And he said, Joseph, I'm, I'm so happy to see you. Tell me about your life. There was a kind of willingness to receive what I had. I mean, there was a love there. There was a steadiness and a sternness that he didn't have. My friends that have come back from conflicts as uh, medics in the field of Iraq, they've come back absolutely shattered and shaken. And it's because they didn't have the same mentorship they had out there that understood them, had been where they had gone, and, was, and were further than them and could bring them to a place of that, that settledness and that groundedness. And like you say, to restore that masculinity, that's what we've got to seek. It's we all have to seek. What is the fatherhood in my life? How am I going to seek the fatherhood in my life? And as soon as it says, go this way, amen. Yep. That's where we're going. Yep. You need to read Becoming a King. It's going to blow your world wide open. Is it right on this, in this world? Oh, it's, it's like all right. 10x what you're talking about. Like it, the man, it, he has a 20 year journey of falling down and seeking the fatherhood. And even this book, like he was, he would pray and, and God would tell him that it's not time for you to write this book that you're not done yet. And so his story is absolutely amazing. What he's, you know, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart by chance? That sounds more familiar. Remind me. Him and Morgan are both friends. So like, if you can imagine, if you can imagine him, if you read that book, I've heard it described Wild at Heart is kind of like the, the shallow end for masculinity. Morgan's story is like the deep end. Like you already can tread water. You understand how to control what you're thinking. Because mm. he goes into a way that just really touches the, the core of masculinity. And uh, it blew my world wide open when we were listening to it on Audible on our camping trip. Yeah. I have one other question for you. Have you ever seen I Can Only Imagine, the movie? Yes, I did see I Can Only Imagine uh, a couple of years ago when it hit DVD. Because I was thinking of the same similar story with that dad and... Um, coming back home and finding Jesus and finding God and like restoring in a way that allowed his son to kind of like, if dad can change, then I can change anybody kind of like that, that movie, like I was watching that movie and I was tearing up left and right because I saw my own story a little bit in that. Like when at the end of that movie, when he's singing the song and he sees his dad, like I saw my grandma who was kind of like my first best friend. It was kind of like my first order growing up because I grew up on a farm. So I was isolated from a lot of other people and she was always there. Yeah, and I just saw her looking down with that moment when I'm on stage looking out and like, it was so powerful to just kind of experience the whole transition of that song and the story, because that song taught me in this and the movie that like everybody's story and words can move mountains for someone. And if you understand how to take your story and be able even take your stick in a sense of it and be able to help shepherd someone through what they're going through all it is is words. You're saying the same things that Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, every person that came before you is just words. They just understood how to make them move mountains for people. And I really appreciate about that, what you're, what you're telling your story about. How did you yes, meet sir. your wife? I feel like there is some divine intervention that would have brought a woman that was able to receive your soul and be able to bond in the form of marriage with it and bring two kids in this world from the point where you are to the point where you are today. I feel like she's a very special woman that came into your life. That's true. You know, and I, I want to point out something that you said too. And I, I feel like you're so full of life, Ben. When I talked to you on the phone the first time, I said, this guy's got an energy about him. He's, he's going forward. Uh, and I just, I feel that about you. And, and, and you know, I'm not here to flatter you, but to tell you the truth. Um, and, and I see that. And, and I've got to lose a little weight myself 
and I've been putting it off. And I feel <laughs> I feel uh, the the cutting coming right now. And I'm going to lean into the sort of truth. And and you're so right. And it, it is connected to other things. I was a personal trainer for it for a time, and I see it in my. I'm my worst client. <laughs> Thank you. You have you have started something, and I mean that. So I, how about this? I'm committing to it. I'm going to lose the weight and I'm going to get into the shape I'm supposed to be in so I can be the man I'm supposed to be for my kids and for my community. Thank you. I just want to get a now hold you of can, Now you can be able to like, like I feel I can carry so much more. Another random story that came from this losing weight is I had a story doing ba- basketball in seventh grade. I sucked at it. I failed at it. And I avoided the feeling ever since. Uh, yeah. Recently, I've been taking a basketball to the basketball court when the kids are on the playground and shooting hoops. I feel more alive doing that now because I don't have so much weight. I feel like one of the cool guys that I would look up to playing basketball almost. So it's, it's kind of a weird introspection, but like I now <laughs> lean into that. And that moment is now created that I can lean into. I never would have been able to create that new version or even running, like running with my shirt off. That was always something I was always wanting to do. I have never felt more free of every judgment and every label of myself when all that's on me is my shorts and my underwear. Like I feel as free into the world. Like it's just me running and the winds just whipping past my body, whipping off the sweat. Like that is how I come alive more than I ever did in any other different things. Like removing those labels and just leaning into things that I couldn't have had before all came because I started losing the weight and being able to carry more and step more into myself. So I commend you as well for taking this commitment as well. Let's even see that from a spiritual dimension. I mean, there was a moment where you took off the shirt, you know, and, and we, we really do want to be un, unclothed in a sense before that mentorship in our lives. We want to be vulnerable and open and say, I'm struggling with this. And you can come to, that was the other thing about that cruxical point. When I talked to my first mentor, it was, it was an AA mentor. Take that or leave that, whatever your opinion is. There was a mentorship there and I shared the worst story of my life. And we all have that story. There's one story we all have that will go to the grave with you. That's the story that kills a man. And I think that I was able to rip off my shirt and run down the trail for all to see that day. Because I had gone somewhere and gotten a hold of the truth. And I said, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is the unmasked version. Because for me, a shirt was always a mask that would allow me to pretend to be someone that other people needed me to be, but then I wouldn't be myself. And I'd always see a runner down the street. I'm like, God, I can't wait for that day that I can run unmasked and just be who I am. And when I felt like I never felt more alive, like I've done it since. And I've like, before running, I've been kind of in a funk and just kind of a swoop of emotions. I went running one time and I was like, God, that's just like completely rewires my brain because it's just me. And it's me to the world without any masks on. I used to sleep with a white t-shirt every night and wear a white t-shirt underneath because it made everything look tighter underneath my shirt and would hide it better. Sure. Oh yeah. And then eventually like three years ago, I went to bed without a shirt on and it was just me and my boxers. And essentially that was my way to stare at the truth every night when I, before I went to bed, I had to walk by the mirror and see what I wasn't acknowledging. It still took a long time before I took action on it, but I really recognize that I need to feel this truth and face it. And maybe you're not ready to deal with the truth that you recognize, but at least staring at it every day, wondering what you can do about it is better than not even realizing it's there. Like with you, when you couldn't even see it, you were living your life in a way that you didn't even realize this was out there. And I'm sure you didn't just wake up and figure out exactly what to do, but you stared at it and stared at it and stared at it. And the path eventually revealed itself of how you walk through it. Yes. You know, that, that hidden person has to die. They've got, they have to die. You have to truly be in this state of vulnerability like you're sharing. That's the only way we're going to change because otherwise we're just going to keep reforming the mask. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's such malarkey. And, and right around the time I got a hold of that uh, in the beginning stages, I had, ju- I was, I was reading Zen literature. I was reading the Bhagavad Gita, which is, and, and the, I was reading the Vedas, which are both Hindu texts. And I was reading, so so that takes care of the East, generally speaking. And I had learned about Zoroastrianism and Jainism, and I was reading uh, philosophy, and I was reading the female brain, which is like a neuroscience approach. 
to reality and I had read Hawking and all these different, I was reading all of this. I was reading the Quran. I was reading and I was reading the Bible for the first time ever. And I was just trying to find, does anybody have this thing? Yeah, there's one thing that I keep searching for. I was does there anybody too. I have like, the truth? You just keep reading and reading and reading, hoping there's one more podcast. This is going to be the one. I know it's going to be the one. And then it's just always one more thing. And even though it's like almost like a new addiction, you're searching for something that's always right there within yourself. Like that's the, the full circle truth that I realized is that it's not external, the truth you seek. It's really believing the truth resides in your heart. You just have to believe it and allow it to come to the surface. Yeah, and, and I come from the standpoint that God's creation was perfect, but that he gave us the free will to choose, and we chose to go the other way. And so the, the life is a process of letting go, of deciding for ourselves what is wrong and right, you know, and saying, let me be subjected to something else, and all of a sudden we begin to shine. The light begins to shine. Mine's shorter, but it has a little bit of divinity into it, that I had gotten on the Marine Corps in 2007, dated a few girls, and didn't go well. And it was February of 2008. And I remember going to Catholic church and I never was one to go to Catholic church after getting out. And I was like, you know what? I just need to go. And I went in the local town where I lived, never been there before yet. And I just prayed. I'm like, God, I need something. I'm tired of feeling lonely. And a week later, my wife came to my life and she actually came from a four year kind of like bad relationship, similar to like yours. It just wasn't healthy. And then we both found each other at, at that broken point and the rest is history. And now it's been 10 years and three kids. And like you said, life doesn't necessarily get easier, but you learn how to grow with each other. And that's part of the other part of the most people don't get in. They like marriage should be easy and it should just be something that is out of fairy tales. But, and I like what you talked about within the relationship with God, because I heard it recently said on the radio that I listened to here locally that while the divorce rate nationally is 50%, the divorce rate among Christian couples is 13. Yeah. If that doesn't give you hope of like, or even just the, the switching of statistics and how like one can easily make you think like, you know what, if 50% are coming to the conclusion, maybe I could too. But then when you think it's 13, that means that there is a whole pile of people that dig deeper versus hmm. running. I mean, you know, if there was one couple that was staying together, I'd follow that couple. Yeah. And I'm, I'm inspired by the statistic. Don't get me wrong. But that may not always be. That statistic may shoot right up because, you know, there's only one church. There's only one church. And, and you may find a few people in this building and a few people in that. But the church are the people that are faithful to the call of God and, and respond when they hear his voice. And those are the people that stick together. Like you say, is marriage going to get easier? Somebody lied to you. You watch too many movies, brother, because it's not going to get easier. But we get stronger and we overcome together. We're built for it. It said, uh, man is not, it's not good for man to be alone. And he sent woman because she's exactly what we need. This has definitely got me excited for getting out of the cold spell of summer from interviewing people. And we've definitely yes. lit up some dads and I am positive, positive. We smacked few in beliefs that people have with a sledgehammer and just nuked it. Right. And I hope that this will bring, I know I'm positive. I don't know hope. I know it will bring many dads home. I want to leave you with one question that uh, I ask every dad before we wrap up. What's a parting piece of wisdom that you want a dad to take away from this episode to make sure they receive into their heart? And I think we covered it the whole time. The, I, what I feel like God is speaking in this conversation is that a man not under authority has no authority. And if we really want to bring the kind of fatherhood that actually works and brings wholeness and brings the wisdom, which uh, wisdom is just seeing where you stand in the hole. If we want to bring that wisdom, we ourselves need to be under authority. And you don't have to take a Christian perspective. You can find another hole that you can stand under. I know that the, the ultimate, if you were to seek that ultimately, it would be in the fatherhood of God. And I know that's the case. But Thomas Sowell will show you that, that even, in a, even a household that's broken apart and abusive, if the father is there, the children are less given to crime. The, the statistics show that any kind of fatherhood is better than mine. But if you want to be the kind that can bring authority into the house, you yourself need to be under authority. And let's find the fatherhood of God in our lives. Let's find the fatherhood in our lives. The man who has what you want. The man who's been where you're going. What does he have to share with you? How can I come under? How can I understand what he's saying? How can I come under his mission? Put my shoulder to that burden that he's carrying and say, my father's going to have a hard time finding work around here because I'm here. That's where it's all going to come from. That's where we can derive unlimited authority is from ourselves submitting to the authority. 
I love that. And it circles back to what we talked about with the idea of the legacy stick as well, because that legacy stick is that almost like that history, especially if you already have one as an heirloom in your family, it is the history and strength that comes with fatherhood of the men before you in your generation. And it's passed down from generation to generation. And it's that strength and integrity that allows you to carry yourself into your life. You were never meant to do it alone and you need someone else to lean on, whether it be a stick or whether it be a mentor. Every man needs another tool to lean on to grow because life will always give us more than we can handle. Where's the best place that we can get a hold of a legacy stick and learn more about you? I just want to go to brazosticks.com front slash legacy. But what I would really do is I would click Ben's link that he's going to put in the show notes here. Because Definitely will be in the show notes. Support the show and you're also going to get 10% off and it's unlimited link. You buy one for everyone in your family. It's never going to run out. That's what you need to do. But stay connected with us. Reach out to us. You got questions, you want to collaborate on a project. If you want to honor somebody in your life with a custom stick, I'll build it from the ground up with you. You'll get a real person on the phone. Call me. But use Ben's link when you buy. I love that. And your sticks are definitely worth buying. I, I Like I said, I wasn't expecting to have a, a stick in my life. But then when you came in my life, I realized I really needed to stick this entire time. And they are yeah. just as good of a quality. And I will have that link down there in the show notes. And these things are the real deal. And these stories are something that you can almost imprint within the stick that there's always this story, this core story of our last name. What does it mean to be a Killoy? These stories can be imprinted in the stick and they can always be something that's passed down that this is what it means to be a Killoy and that can be passed down to your family as well. Yes, pass it on. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And I'm like I said, I am positive we nuked many dads' lives today and brought several dads home. So I really appreciate you being as vulnerable and just crashing it wide open with your story because it definitely is a story that's going to move mountains for dads out there. Hey Amen. I hope so. It's a real honor to know you and be connected to you. Uh, let's keep the connection strong. And uh, I'm just really glad to be on the show today. Thank you. It, it's a blessing and an honor. Thank you for listening to this episode with Joseph Clark. I really hope, just like I said in the intro, that this episode touched your heart. It opened up your world in a way that maybe you couldn't really feel the love that you need to feel in your heart, to feel the love for your family, the world that is around you, the life that you are currently living. Guys, Joseph is the real deal, and I'm honored to call him a friend. Some of the big takeaways for me was that story about the French Revolution. I never heard it said that way, and I really loved how he opened up that in the very beginning. Leaving a legacy, if you listen to the podcast, whether your first time or long-time listener, you know that legacy is very close to my heart. It's something we talk about regularly on the podcast, and we had a great conversation about it. The origin of the legacy stuff, that was something that was absolutely legendary because of what they have to offer. It's the staff that I have as a legacy staff, and understanding its roots and its origin makes it that much more meaningful for me. Talking about the life always having trials, we always talk about how life is always happening for us, not to us. And that life will always give us those trials, but it's that trial that actually is sculpting away the beauty of who we are. The connection with that and the legacy staff was right on point, and I couldn't have said it any better. And who in the who is your father in life? Are you being led by someone? Is it your relationship with God? Is it your actual father? We need to be led as men, and we don't often acknowledge that need. So guys, that was something that really hit close to home in my heart as well, and I hope it hit close to home for you. Again, if you want to check out one of these walking sticks, if you know someone in your life that wants to have one or really needs one for an upcoming birthday, or maybe you want to get it going for Christmas, go ahead, go down to support the show in the show notes. There is a link. You get 10% off at Brazos Walking Sticks, and you're supporting the show by using that link. Guys, I hope you have an awesome week, and I will talk to you guys again on Friday.